0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today.
1: We've been going through this sermon series entitled The Rise and Fall of King David, where we are looking at the rise and fall of King David. And today we're going to be looking at the end of the rise and the very, very beginning of the fall. Because they kind of happen at the same time. It doesn't take very long for David to start to get himself into a little bit of trouble here. So I'm going to be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. And just background here, what has happened is we know, as we talked about a few weeks ago, David was anointed as king. Samuel went to his house in Bethlehem and anointed him as king. And then David uh, defeated Goliath. And after that, there became this struggle with Saul, the current king, and David. And Saul was jealous of David and sought to destroy David. But then Saul fell in the battlefield against the Philistines. And you would think David would then ascend to the throne, but actually he engages in a conflict with one of Saul's sons. And at this point in 2 Samuel 7, David has won that conflict. That war is over. And David is now on the throne. So I'll be reading, as I said, 2 Samuel 7, uh, verses 1 through 17, and I invite you to hear God's word. And it happened when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had granted him respite all around him from his enemies, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, pray, I dwell in a cedarwood house while the ark of God dwells within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Whatever is in your heart, go do, for the Lord is with you. And it happened on that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go say to my servant, to David, thus says the Lord, is it you who would build me a house for me to dwell in? For I have dwelled in no house from the day I brought up the Israelites out of Egypt until this day, but I have gone about in tent and tabernacle. Wherever I went about among all the Israelites, did I speak a word with any of the tribal chiefs of Israel whom I charged to shepherd my people Israel saying, why did you not build me a cedarwood house? And now thus shall you say to my servant to David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I myself took you from the pasture, from following the flocks to be prince over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut down your enemies before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great of the earth. And I will set aside a place for my people, for Israel, and plant them. And they shall abide there and no longer quake. And the wicked shall no more afflict them as before, from the day that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will grant you respite from all your enemies. And the Lord declares that it is he who will make you a house. When your days are full and you lie with your fathers, I will raise up your seed after you, who will issue from your loins, and I will make his kingship unshaken. He it is who will build a house for my name, and I will make the throne of his kingship unshaken forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me, so he should do, So should he do wrong, I will chastise him with the rod men use and with the afflictions of humankind." But my loyalty shall not swerve from him, as I made it swerve from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingship shall be steadfast forever, your throne unshaken forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, so did Nathan speak to David. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us here together. And we ask that you would open up your scriptures to us, illuminate your scriptures to us and speak to us through them and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear your word clearly and help us to trust in your faithfulness and your faithfulness alone. Help us to let go of our own expectations when they get in the way of our vision of what you might do for our lives. And help us to place all of our faith in your character. So, Lord, speak to us now through this promise to David. We thank you. We praise you. And we ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As human beings, we all develop unchecked expectations. We all developed these visions for how we think our lives should go and expectations for what should happen in our lives. The thing is, though, when those expectations go unchecked, when we don't examine them, they can actually blind us to the things God is doing. Now, we see this in a number of areas in life, but your expectations can block you from opportunities. If your expectations are too narrow, you won't see different opportunities. Like I said, we see this in different examples, but one example that I think we see this in in missing opportunities because of our own expectations is in the area of technology. I mean, technology has grown and expanded the last 80 years. But some of you may not have known this, but the first actual video phone, the picture phone, was released in 1964. Now the quality wasn't great, but it was released by AT&T. They had a video phone where you could see the person you were talking to, but it didn't really sell too well initially. It didn't really catch on and AT&T they believed that people didn't really want to be on camera. We now know today that is not true. (laughs) They had this expectation though of what people were going to want. And because of that, they abandoned this technology. And they missed out on some money. They're doing okay now, but they did miss out on some money there. Another example here, the first personal computer was actually released in 1973. I've got a picture of it here called the Xerox Alto. That's what a first computer looked like there. Again, this was released in 1973. It did not sell well. Largely, I think, because what people expected of a computer was a glorified typewriter, and they were comfortable with their typewriters. There wasn't really a vision for what a computer could be, what it could become. So Xerox abandoned computers. We now know that wasn't a great decision, Xerox. Another example, I'm sure we all know, online video games have taken over. A video game release is bigger now than a movie release. The advertising budgets for them are even larger and the revenues are even larger. I mean, online video gaming has a whole structure to itself, a whole world unto itself. But it actually began all the way back in the mid-90s. Sega, the gaming company, developed Sega Channel. And they had this technology that allowed you to video game with other people online and connect and it just didn't take off. Sega expected it would never take off, so they abandoned it. Again, not a great move. These are just a few examples, though, of you get these expectations. Most of the time, the expectations are rooted in our past reality, and our expectations, if we're too attached to them and we don't examine them, they can block us from opportunities, and they can block our vision for what is actually possible. And I think that that happened here with this passage that I just read in the Bible. This passage from 2 Samuel, it's one of those greatest hits passages in the Bible that gets referred back to over and over again. And this passage, it begins with David wanting to build a house for God, but the house is a word for the temple. David wants to build a temple. And at first you could say, oh... This is so nice of David. This is good of David, but there's actually some arrogance here, which is why David gets the response from God that he gets. Back in David's day, when a king would secure their rule, one of the things they would do is build a temple as a sign of control, as a way of centralizing all the people and showing, I am the one who have brought God to you. It was really about David's glory. That's why kings built temples in the ancient world most of the time. And that's why you get the response from God that you get here. God puts David in his place here. He basically says, who do you think you are that you are going to build me a temple? That you're going to build me a house? Look at all these things that I did. I'm the one who puts you on the throne. I'm the one who's going to secure you. And then God flips it and says, I'm going to build you a house, David. But it's not a temple he's talking about. God is now talking about a legacy talking about David's name living on, talking about the rule of David living on. Now, this passage is known as the promise to David because God makes a promise to David in it. Again, we're not very clever with these names during this David series. But this promise to David, it starts to take on a life of its own in scripture. And what you can see when you look at the other passages in scripture that reflect on it is that the expectations around this promise, they change. They shift. Originally, the expectation here is that David will have a son and that that son will build a temple and that that son will reign and that David's line will carry on. And it really gets interpreted as a biological son of David will be on the throne of Israel forever. That's how it originally gets interpreted. A biological son of David or descendant of David will be on the throne of Israel forever. And as long as Solomon, David's son, is on the throne, that interpretation is perfectly fine. Solomon is viewed as the son of David. He builds the temple that's talked about here. And the nation that David had built, it it grows. It expands under Solomon. But once Solomon passes, that interpretation of this promise, it gets challenged. Because what happens is Solomon will die, and then the nation is thrown into civil war. The, in the northern part of the kingdom rebels against the southern part, and the northern kingdom becomes Israel, the southern kingdom becomes Judah. And it's the line of it's the nation of Judah where the line of David continues. So the promise, the expectation around it gets changed. And it's now a biological descendant of David will always be on the throne of Judah. It's a slight little change. It's easy to handle that one. And for a few hundred years, that stands. People interpret the promise to David as saying a biological descendant of David will be on the throne of Judah. But a few hundred years after Solomon, a crisis occurs. The Babylonian exile takes place. The nation of Babylon, the empire of Babylon comes and besieges Jerusalem. They set up their armies all around Jerusalem. And then they destroy Jerusalem. And not only that, they go to that temple that Solomon had built, this house of God that had been promised, and they tear it to the ground. They destroy it entirely. And not only that, they take the descendant of David who was on the throne, who at that time was a 12 or 13-year-old boy, and they move him to Babylon with a significant population of Jerusalem. So the descendant of David that was promised is no longer on the throne. The house of God that was built is no longer standing. And at that point, the people of God have this challenge in front of them, this crisis. What do you do in that moment? Do you abandon the promise to David? Do you abandon that promise? Do you abandon God? Do you embrace the gods of Babylon? Or do you examine your own expectations around that promise? Do you look at the way you've interpreted it? And instead of holding to your own expectations around the promise, do you place your faith in God and God's character, knowing that you might have misunderstood the promise, but God's faithfulness will still win in the end? The people of God choose the latter. And you can see this in the prophet Isaiah. Remember, I said that the promise to David is one of those greatest hits passages. You can see other verses in the Bible reflecting on it. And you see this in Isaiah 55. Now, the second half of the book of Isaiah is the prophet speaking to exiles in Babylon. They're in that moment where they are questioning, is God still faithful? We're in this different land. What we thought was happening, that there'd be a biological descendant of David on the throne of Judah forever, That's clearly not the case. And the prophet speaking on behalf of God says this to them. "O everyone who thirsts, go to the water and who has no silver, buy food and eat. Go and buy food without silver and at no cost, wine and milk. Why should you weigh out silver for what is not bread and your substance for what does not sate? Listen well to me and eat goodly things and you shall enjoy lavish fare. Bend your ear and come to me, listen and be revived, and I will make with you a perpetual pact, the faithful kindness shown to David. Look, I made him witness to the peoples, prince and commander of the peoples. Look, to a nation you knew not you shall call, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, for the sake of the Lord your God and Israel's Holy One, for he made you glorious." The prophet is speaking to the people in exile, helping them to understand the promise to David. It still stands. It's not just focused on one biological descendant of David now, though. It's to the whole nation of Israel, to the people of Israel, to the people of God. And they will be made great. And in the same way David was a witness to what God could accomplish, they will be a witness to what God would accomplish. God, through the prophet, is expanding the promise to David, growing this promise. And Israel refuses to abandon the promise to David. They hold to it, they reset their expectations. I think this then sets the stage for what we see in the next few hundred years after that. I mean, the promise to David, I have to tell you, it endures, it is resilient. The Babylonians will rule over Israel for a while and they'll have the exiles there. And then the Persians come in and kick the Babylonians out. And the people of Israel, they're able to go back and they start rebuilding the temple. But then the Greeks get kicked out by some Persians or sorry, the Persians then kick out some Greeks. I said that correctly. Actually, I corrected myself, even though I was right. The Greeks kick out the Persians, folks. That's what I'm trying to say. And then the people of Judah kick out the Greeks but then Rome comes in and Rome is actually more brutal than any of these other empires and Rome secures the land of Judea. They make it a province and all throughout all of that political turmoil, the promise to David endures, but it changes, it shifts. So that now what the people are looking for is a leader who will be anointed like David was anointed who will pull together an army, who will kick the Romans out and establish a kingdom similar to how David established a kingdom. And they call this leader the Messiah, the anointed one. A lot of the expectations around the Messiah, they come from the promise to David and the way it was interpreted and reinterpreted over and over again over hundreds of years. So by the time we're in Jesus's day, By the time Jesus arrives on the scene, that's largely the expectation of the Messiah, of the son of David. But we know that yet again, God defies expectations. Jesus doesn't raise an army. Jesus doesn't violently try to overthrow the Roman empire. He doesn't lift up a sword and tell his followers to do likewise. He pursues a peaceful path the entire way. He suffers, he struggles. He goes to the cross and he dies. Nobody expected that of the Messiah. Nobody expected that of the Son of David. And one of the things that I've appreciated the most about the Gospels is that you can see the people, the characters in the Gospels, reflecting on this. There's a passage in Matthew 12 where Jesus performs some miracles and he amazes people. And it says that the people ask themselves, can this be the son of David? It sounds like a simple question when you don't understand all the history behind it. But when you understand that history, you realize it's more than just an innocuous question. Can this be the son of David? It's a question saying, this is not what I expected. This isn't what I thought the son of David would look like. But is this the work of God? Is this the fulfillment of the promise? Is this God being faithful today? they're checking their own expectations and they're asking themselves can this be the son of david our expectations will regularly get the best of us if we don't examine them if we don't look at them they can begin to blind us to the work god is actually doing a lot of people in jesus's day they didn't recognize what god was doing in him as the son of david A lot of people who held to the promise to David didn't recognize him because they expected Rome to be overthrown. That expectation made them miss out on what God was doing. And I think the same thing can happen for us today. If you're too tied to your own expectations, if you're too tied to the way you think things should go in your own life, you can overlook the work that God is actually doing. You can lose sight of what God is actually doing, of the opportunities God is presenting in your life. What I think we see in the history of how the people of God received this promise to David is people who were willing to place their faith not in their own expectations of the way they thought things should go, but to place their faith in the character of God, knowing that if it didn't go the way they thought, God would still be faithful to the promises because that is simply who God is. And they were willing to let go of their expectations and cling to God's character as revealed to them. May we do likewise. May God give us that same faith. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your promises. Though they don't play out the way that we expect, we know that you are faithful nonetheless. Though we often misinterpret your promises though we let our own expectations get the best of us, we know that you are faithful nonetheless. So Lord, humble us. Help us to set aside what we think should happen and instead look for your work in this world, being open to the possibility that you might be calling us to things we would never expect, to opportunities we would never imagine. Lord, in the midst of it all, help us to trust in your character, and cling to the promises that you make. And as we give our offerings now, as we worship you by giving back to you, bless this offering so that others would see the faith that we have in you and place their hope in you. Bless this offering so that others would be made aware of the promises that you make and trust in those promises, Lord. Bless this offering so that your news of hope and resurrection would spread. We thank you. It's the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. We'll continue our worship. So I'm sure you all have noticed that we have a tent here in the worship center. And the tent is for Samaritan Center. It's a local partner that we're working with, trying to raise some supplies. And we're trying to fill this tent up with supplies that they've asked us to fill. But we thought it'd be a good idea because we know some of you are familiar with Samaritan Center, but some of you aren't and you're, you're newer to Samaritan Center. So we invited somebody to come from Samaritan Center to, to speak to us. And then um, they sent somebody who was with us every single week. Um, So Grace Hughes, our own member here, is on the board at Samaritan Center. And I'm going to invite Grace to come up here and to share with us a little bit about Samaritan Center's mission and ways that you can be involved. So let's welcome Grace up.
2: Thank you. The mission of the Samaritan Center is to offer people experiencing housing and food insecurities Supporting services essential to human dignity. Samaritan Center is many things the drop in center for food, clothing, showers, laundry, medical and dental re- references, and assistance with replacement of ID and social security cards and things like that. Job positions, assistance with resume, writing and computer access. A mail stop, veteran support. and that's only part of it. Stonebridge feeds some 40 people on the fourth Wednesday of every month. That's this coming Wednesday. The request for food donations is uh, continuous. I understand it was in the bulletin last week. And also, we're looking for a person, male or female to be in charge of this mission project starting in January. We have someone that's taking care of it between now and December, but we need someone new. It involves accepting the donations of foods at 3 p.m. at the Samaritan Center on that Wednesday and helping to fill the individual containers so that they're ready to hand out to the clients. During the pandemic, before the pandemic, We sat down at dinner and fed them. But now, with the rules, we have to fill containers to hand to them. My main job, the Board of Samaritans, and here at Stonebridge, is the PADS program. PADS, Public Action to Deliver Shelter. It houses the homeless overnight during November through March, Supposedly the cold months. I'm not sure what's happening this year. <laughs> A number of churches and, and service organizations take their turns at those nights. And they, serve, they provide monitors to stay with the clients and, and take care of things. Our night is alternate Friday evenings. They are sleeping on full mats on the floor, of course. At the Shepherd of the Valley Church is where we work with this other church. I have head monitors for each of our nights, our assigned nights, but I need one extra person there each night, and I'm looking for volunteers. If either one of these projects Either helping with the food on Wednesdays or sleeping overnight, I'll be out on the patio after the service. I'll be happy to answer any questions. And Scott Razier, who is one of those that is going to be there, he's the one of the head monsters, He will be out there also. Stop and talk to us. Thank you.
1: So we have three ways that you could help get involved. One, volunteer to help deliver the monthly meals. Um, Two, volunteer with the PADS project and be in a monitor. And then three, if you don't have the time for that still, look in your worship bulletins and find the supply lists. And then bring something and help us fill this tent up so that by the end of November, we have a very full tent to hand to Samaritan Center so that they have the equipment they need to pursue their mission over these next few months. So let's pray now for Samaritan Center, and I'll conclude this prayer with the Lord's prayer as well. Um, The words will be on the screen behind me. If you're familiar with it, I invite you to say it out loud um, in whatever version you're comfortable with. But if you're not familiar, the words will be there so that you can know as well. But let's pray.
0: From wherever you've been Come broken hearted Let rescue begin Come find your mercy Oh sinner come near Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal No earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal Lay